the message today. Um, we are in 1 Timothy 4 uh, this morning, and uh, we are week two into a series we're calling Jesus Gospel Neighborhood. It's uh, the call of the Christian church, um, a call of our Christian church in particular, um, and we're going through our core values as a church, six values that we think really help us hit the bullseye, which is to, as a body, be the body of Christ, to live like, walk like, talk like, act like, and worship Jesus. And so our six core values are these. These are the values that we think help us to be like Jesus. We got gospel mission that's telling other people about Jesus for us, particularly that's in our neighborhood of Poe Mill. Gospel um, authenticity that's being real with one another when we're doing things like our groups on Wednesday night. Gospel service, talked about that last week. That's serving like Jesus served. Gospel uh, <laughs> There's a glare here. Gospel love. I do know these, but anyway, gospel love. And uh, that's this, uh, that we love each other not based on merit, okay? So we don't love each other because, hey, we're, we're really cool. Though I do think you guys are really cool. At least 99.99% of you, you're cool, okay? But we don't love each other because we're good people. We love each other because we're God's people. We love based on grace, just like Jesus loves us. Gospel generosity is this idea that we do not consume for ourselves, we don't take for ourselves, but like you guys so bravely and courageously and greatly and generously did last week, um, we give away to our homeless friends trying to get them a van. Uh, we want to be gospel. Generosity uh, means Jesus gave to us, we give to others. And then we got gospel saturation, which is what I'm going to give a shot to talk about uh, today. And what gospel saturation is, is this idea that we have to make everything that we do always, forever, all about Jesus and his message, his teaching. And the text that's going to guide us through this value today is 1 Timothy chapter 4, gospel saturation. Paul calls Timothy to gospel saturation. Because what we have in 1 Timothy is this letter from Paul to a young pastor who's pastoring one of the most prominent churches of the New Testament. It's a church called Ephesus. You may have heard of the letter to the Ephesians. Yeah, it's to those guys. Timothy is pastoring this church. Now, the church at Ephesus has a lot of really great things about it. The scriptures tell us that they are an example of hard work. They are this example of laboring for the Lord and sticking with it when, in fact, times get tough. Because for every church, including our own church, times will indeed get tough. And they have stuck through things. They have worked through things. And they have committed to our core value that we talked about last Sunday, gospel service. But they do have some troubles in the church of Ephesus, like all the early churches did. They're battling with some false teaching. People are being drawn away to other messages. And Paul's telling Timothy, particularly in chapter 4, not to get caught up in debating and arguing and talking about and seeking out how to explain against all those other false messages that are being put out there, but just to stick to preaching one true message 
over and over again to stick to preaching the message, the doctrine he calls it, Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins, risen again, Holy Spirit has come, soon there will be a new heaven and new earth for all who believe, preach that day in, day out. Saturate yourself in the gospel and saturate your church in the gospel. So we take this passage, we learn this lesson, and uh, we do that by breaking it up into two parts. We got some bad news and we got some good news. Hate to do this to you today, but we're going to start with the bad news. So buckle in. Here's the bad news. The bad news is about us, right? Shocker. Uh, But here's the bad news. Our hearts crave other messages besides the gospel. Our hearts crave false teaching. Our, our hearts crave other messages. We see this in verse one and two. It says, First Timothy four, the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies, hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So many people in Ephesus were seeming to jump on the Jesus train, but they wanted to bring some bags on the train that wouldn't fit, so it wasn't going to work out. Eventually, they'd have to get off the train completely. To put it more plainly and simply, they seemed to embrace the message of the gospel, but as time went on, it turns out that they did not embrace that message, but rather were ready and willing to depart from it to embrace a false message, which was a different message entirely. Okay, so let me try to explain something to you. The gospel is a holy message. We serve a holy Jesus. We are his holy church. Okay, so what does holy mean? It's this idea of being standalone, set apart, its own thing untouched by sin, untouched by the curse, untouched by falsehood. Okay, so the message is over here as a holy message. And here's what holiness implies. As it is set apart and it stands apart, what is implied is that if you try to take this message and mix it with anything else, you delete that message. You try to morph that message into anything else and you do damage to that message. You try to form it and fashion it into some other message. You try to combine it with messages other than itself, and it dilutes it and makes it a different message completely. Quite literally, is that if you take the gospel of Jesus, this holy message, and try to do anything but let it be exactly what it is, what you do is you depart from it. And that's what they're doing in the church of Ephesus, at least some of them. They are taking a holy message, trying to add to it, morph it, change it, and in so doing so, they depart from it. Now, does this mean that they are taking on what sounds like a completely different message? Like, instead of talking about the gospel, they'll be talking about, like, a false god, like Zeus from Greek mythology? No, it looks like it's a little bit more subtle than that from this text and context. What Paul is talking about here is that they'll be taking not on a totally different message. They're not going to be talking about a false God, 
but rather they will be talking about the true God in a false way. That's how subtle this is. So it'll, it'll have this form of godliness, Paul says, but it denies the power thereof, and they depart from the gospel with lip service to Jesus, to God, perhaps the Holy Spirit, the church, but it actually ends up being false, the true God, but in a false way. They depart from the gospel. Now, here's a question. Why would someone depart from the faith, the message of the good news, to some other message? It's not just that someone would do this. We are tempted with this. It's not some other church out there that's tempted with this. We're tempted with this. It's not some other denomination that's tempted with this. We're all tempted with this, right? We cannot look at the passages about the bad guys and just automatically assume, well, that's never going to be us. That's how you become the bad guys. (laughs) Amen? We have to check our own hearts, and as we check our own hearts, we see that this is not a problem way out there. It's a problem with us in that we have a sinful nature, and we have a flesh that desires, craves false messages. Because here's why. Our hearts, our flesh, desire something that the gospel will not give us, and that is sight over faith. You know, the Bible says that the just will live by faith, that we live by faith, not by sight. Well, the truth is our flesh desires the opposite. Because of our sin nature, we want to live by sight, not by faith. This explains things like the golden calf incident back in the book of Exodus. This explains why the Old Testament believers wanted a human king, even though God was their king. They wanted one that they could see. This is why Jesus walks on water over to his Jewish brethren and they say, can you do a sign for us? It's like, really? Like, how much more do you need? Well, the idea is that we're those Jewish brethren. We are like this. We, our hearts crave sight. The gospel requires faith. So we are very tempted. Our hearts crave to depart from faith into sight. Our hearts naturally crave to depart from the holy message into all kinds of other messages that we can see. So what type of messages are these that we're particularly deceived by? Well, let's look at verse 3. Here's just the example off the top of Paul's head in 1 Timothy 4. Forbidding to marry. These are the false teachers. They forbid their people to marry, commanding them to abstain from foods. Who would do this to anyone, right? This has got to be, I think this, you know, we don't, you know, sometimes it could be unclear. What was that unpardonable sin? This was the unpardonable sin. Commanding to abstain from foods. And Paul's like, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Right? Getting ready for lunch already. What's going on here? Well, Paul's probably referring to the Gnostics, teachers of that day. Gnosticism was a heresy creeping into the early church, one of them. Gnostics essentially believed everything physical is bad, so they implemented rules to keep us from physical things like marriage or eating for enjoyment rather than just eating to stay alive, right? They made us all be vegan. Perhaps it's because 
They could not see. Remember, these are people in the church, not way out of the church. These are people in the church. These are people sitting next to us in the pews. I think some of these folks got into Gnosticism because their conscience was seared. It says that. But some of them, it's just perhaps they could not see the righteousness that only God can give us through accepting Jesus. Perhaps it's because they could not see a way to enjoy physical life without becoming unrighteousness. Either way, they adopted, perpetuated a message that included God, it included spiritual things, but then they departed into a message filled, and I mean filled with rules and regulations, so that they could see and have proof that they were noble and righteous. So what type of messages does our flesh crave? We crave messages like moralism. We do. And moralism is not the gospel. Christianity is certainly not about being immoral, right? So don't hear like, hey, my pastor said moralism is not the gospel. I'm heading downtown to see what, I can, what kind of scene I can cause. Right? It's not about being immoral, And Jesus certainly calls us to some moral ethics, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, places like that. But moralism is not equal to Christianity, but it's very easily to make moralism dress up like Christianity. Moralism is essentially this message that the most important thing about us is our behavior. Moralism is when, when, when everything now becomes moral, even things that are amoral. So this is when we get into that mode where we want to rule on everything, from funny movies to FM radio to fabrics we can or cannot wear. Moralism, it makes our entire life about right and wrong, the entire Bible about right and wrong, the entire story of Jesus about what is right and what is wrong. And you have to remember, this type of false doctrine is much more tricky than to present itself as a false doctrine, right? It's not, it's not so much talking about a false God, but God in a false way. And this is especially tricky for us, right? Because doesn't it sound so good to spend all our time concerned about what is right and what is wrong? That sounds so good, but what did Jesus say, is the most important thing to God good behavior? No, it was the good news. Matthew 7, Jesus is talking and he preaches and he says, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not? Insert moralism or some version of it. We cast out demons, we prophesied in your name, fed the poor, healed the sick. We ate Chick-fil-A every day to support our Christian brothers. We we, we did all the Christian things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? So, though today we're going to have to hit up Zaxby's, I guess, but anyway, or we could go to Rocky's Hot Chicken Shack, but it's very pricey. Uh, so, you'll have to be uh, the one taking me. But anyway, the point is, is we did this, Jesus. We did it. We did it. We did it. Right, wrong, good, evil. We were sold out. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. There is a lot going on in that text, but what does this show us? It shows us that Jesus has something more in mind than rules, but a relationship. And that moralism doesn't equal having that relationship with Jesus. This is walking by works, not by grace, in religion and not relationship, in good works and not good news. This is choosing sight, which is a problem because we're saved by faith. 
So you have to ask, why would someone depart from the gospel into, for them it was Gnosticism, for some of us it could be moralism or some other message like it. It's because, and here's what you need to know about yourself, your flesh desperately wants something, desperately desires something in that message of moralism. We don't want to walk by the Spirit, which takes faith. We want to walk by sight. I want to be able to see my goodness. I want to be able to see my good decisions. I want to be able to see that everything is going to go well because I can see I did the right procedures. I did the right practice. I want to see that I'm superior to those who do not share these ethics. You got to watch out because our heart craves all that. We crave false messages. We got to seek Jesus above all or else we'll be deceived like some of these folks were deceived. What other messages do we crave? Look at verse 7. This is an interesting one. But reject profane and old wives' fables, old wives' tales, and exercise yourself towards godliness. He says to avoid old wives' tales. Very interesting, I would say, uh, language here. Old wives' tales, were superstitious stories that were made up to scare kids. Y'all heard these, I can tell, because you got mental health issues now. Uh, your mom's like, hey, you know what happens if you, you know what happens if you disobey, right? Hansel and Gretel, you're going in the furnace. It's like, what? Like, oh man, we're all gonna die. Scary. These stories are crazy, but that's what they are. It's like this made up story. It's just essentially a myth. It's a myth. And he's telling Timothy, don't get into myth. Don't argue with myth. Don't believe myth. Focus on the gospel. Our hearts, we crave things like moralism. Our hearts crave things like myths. I could talk to you about a lot of myths that we like to believe in in, in our world of, of Christianity. I'll tell you one that's just sort of obvious so we all get the point. Okay, here's what it looks like to depart from the good news into a myth. Okay, ready? Uh, in 2011, 2011, there was a guy on national radio. You may have heard of him, may not, but he was very popular. His name was Harold Camping. And he started telling everyone on his national radio program, very well documented, his incredibly well documented, nationwide movement in his group, his denomination, that he could prove that Jesus was coming back on May 21st. 2011, that this was inspired biblical truth. May 21st, 2011. <laughs> so look around, see if anybody's missing, because uh, I don't think that happened. Now, the funny thing about this is that Jesus specifically, like emphatically, like unequivocally tells us, no one knows the day or the hour that your Lord doth come. Right? Like it's like the one of two things we know about the second coming. One, there's a second coming. Two, we don't know when it's going to happen. End of list, right? And yet this guy is going on national radio day after day, engaging in the work of this myth. And the myth was that he could somehow decode the book of Daniel and do some Hebrew math, whatever that is, and cut out a couple of news headlines and match them up with a few verses from Revelation and reveal what only God the Father knows, right? What only one member of the Trinity knows, and that is the day of the return of Jesus. And I know we think, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yet this guy, he didn't just end up with a national audience. He ended up with a global audience. He received millions in donations 
And you can tell his conscience is seared because he's taking it all. People were literally emptying their retirement accounts and giving them to this guy so he could put up billboards on highways that say, May 21st, 2011, Jesus is coming back. Because why would you need your retirement account if Jesus is coming back by spring? So they gave it to him. In fact, a lot of them actually sold their homes. This is a true story. You can look this up. They sold their homes and they got into camper vans and traveled around America because we only got about three months left. We might as well go see the Grand Canyon. I bet they were wanting to drive that camper van into the Grand Canyon on May 22nd, right? Like, oh, that's, that's not good, Harold. Right? But, but millions of people bought into this and millions of people gave into this, this myth that we can somehow get deep into the Hebrew of Daniel and put together certain news headlines and come up with something. The Bible says you're never going to know until the sky breaks apart and a trumpet blasts and Jesus is standing in front of you somehow. So you say, how could people be so misled? Well, it's member we got to be careful. It's not people. It's me. It's you. We are people. We are susceptible, like you, like me. Like, we can be misled, and here's why. Because our hearts crave myths, and the reason they crave myths, like conspiracy theories and the like, what, not all of them maybe, because one or two of those things probably true, but most of them, right, like, is because they make something unseeable, seeable, They take something we don't know, like when's Jesus coming back, and it makes it into something we do know. It takes something uncertain and makes it certain. This is bad news. Our hearts crave messages other than the gospel. Our hearts, our sin nature craves these messages. Whenever you hear a message, like whether it's through conversation with a friend or from a teacher preacher, from a book, from a song, from Christian radio especially, it seems. Always check your heart. Is this encouraging me to live by faith in the Son of God, or is this encouraging me to live by sight? Is this the gospel or some other message that's departed from the gospel? Always filter every message through and see, is this a holy message that stands alone or something else? We got to be careful because here's the deal. Our hearts crave wrong messages. That's bad news about us. But there is good news about God. And that Jesus has made this incredibly simple for us. Jesus has essentially given us one message for all of life. Look down 1 Timothy 4 verses 9 through 11. Let's check this out. 1 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance. To this end, we both, Paul and Timothy, we both suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. These things command and teach. Now this is fascinating. He's saying keep suffering, but why are they suffering? They're suffering They're toiling, they're being persecuted because they're living by faith, not by sight. Verse 10 says that they are trusting in the living God who saves people from sin. Say, what's that? That's the gospel. 
So go back to our idea. There is this gospel. It's the holy message. It's set apart. It stands alone. False teachers see the gospel as not enough. They have to move beyond it, depart from it to another message, typically a much more complex message, like an insane code of rules and regulations and religious rituals, or Hebrew math, right? Some complicated, intense message Paul and Timothy are taking that holy message, as simple as it is, preaching that over and over and over again and never moving beyond it. And that is what true teachers do, right? So here we go. Here's the difference between true teachers, false teachers, at least one difference. False teachers see the gospel as, let's just say, just for non-believers to become believers, and once you're a believer, you don't need that gospel anymore, right? You, 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 unless, of course, you're on a mission trip, then you could whip it back out for those kids that you went to go, you know, see. They need to know it, okay? But it's for you to become a believer, and then after you get that, we're done, you move on to some other greater message. That's false teaching. True teachers of the word see the gospel as not only the message for non-believers, but also the primary, only, glorious message for believers. The gospel is both for salvation and our sanctification. Thus, we never move on to a greater, better, more complex message. This is good news. We got one message for our one life. And that message is the gospel for getting into the kingdom and living in the kingdom. The message we need is the gospel. This concept is not just in the New Testament. This concept, quite literally, is the New Testament. I'm going to tell you to turn somewhere probably no preacher has ever asked you to turn. And no, it's not the Song of Solomon, but good guess. It's the table of contents. Go to page like zero of your Bible. Look at the, the, the table of contents for just a second. And I want you to go to the section that says New Testament. For those of you who are new, welcome. We love you. The Bible is 66 books, two, two big halves, if you will. The Old Testament before Jesus, New Testament with Jesus. We love both. We honor both. We respect both. But for sake of time, we're going to hang out in the New Testament for this one. Let me explain. As you look at that New Testament, I want to show you something. Okay, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books are called the Gospels. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels. Gospel literally just means good news. So it's literally the word for a newspaper that on the front headlines, you know, the top above the fold, it says victory. That's the word gospel, good news. And the reason Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are good news is because this is where we see Jesus, who Paul just called the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Okay, so we're using this word gospel a lot. Let's break it down for just a quick second while we're here and remind ourselves of what it means. Paul tells us what it means, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. The gospel is this, Christ, that's Jesus, died for our sins according to the scriptures. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. 
he was buried and he rose again three days later according to the scriptures. Say glory. glory. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his incarnation, his second coming, his virgin birth, his teachings. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel comes to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where we see that we are sinners, but Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He never sins. In all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel is that we are weak, but Jesus is fully man, shares some of our weakness, sympathizes with our weakness, but Jesus is also fully God. And in his strength, he heals the sick. He feeds the 5,000, and a little lesser known story, he feeds the 4,000. Um, that actually did happen. So 9,000 people total are getting fish and chips from Jesus. He calmed the storm. The storm. That was raging on the Sea of Galilee. He spoke to it and changed the weather in his strength. The gospel is that we deserve death and hell, but Jesus dies on a Roman cross, taking sin upon his shoulders, and we are there among the scoffers. Jesus, though, looks out at us and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Jesus dies for our sin so that we might live forever. Without sin, Jesus rises again, and who all, whoever will repent and believe in Jesus, turning to him, following him, giving their hearts and lives to him, will be saved. And one day their tomb will be empty, and they will rise again to live forever, not just in this life with Jesus, but in the next life forever with Jesus. This is the gospel. Say Amen. This is, the, this is the message that we need. This is the message for all of life. The gospel is Jesus. It is, his story is told to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the beginning of the New Testament. Then we got this book called the Book of Acts. You might remember, we went through the Book of Acts as a church for over a year and a half. It was quite a doozy. Acts means the Acts of the Apostles, like those 12 disciples minus Judas. Because... He ran into some issues. But anyway, the book of Acts stands alone. It's like its own thing. It's a history book of the early church. It's those 11 disciples plus Paul taking that message that we just heard, the good news we just heard in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They take that death and resurrection of Jesus to the ends of the earth, and they start gatherings where people believe in Jesus. They gather up to worship Jesus and to take care of each other like Jesus takes care of one another, love us. And so in Acts, we see guys like Peter, James, John, and Paul start churches, pastor churches. Then the rest of the New Testament, besides Revelation, which is also sort of its own thing, the rest of the New Testament between Acts and Revelation are those guys, Peter, Paul, James, John, writing letters called the epistles. You don't need to know that, won't be on the test, but letters to their churches. So let's just take Paul's letters for now because of time. Look at Paul's, Paul's letters are these. Romans, that is Paul writing a letter to a church at Rome. First and second Corinthians, they get two because they were Christians gone wild. They were nuts. And so Paul has to write them all the time being like, shape up. So they get two letters to the church at Corinth. Galatians is a letter to the church at Galatia. Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus. Philippians, you get the picture. First and second Thessalonians, the letter to the Thessalonians. First and second Timothy, Timothy gets his own letter because he's a pastor and they typically have a lot of problems. Titus, same story. 
Philemon is a Christian brother in the Lord. Paul writes him a letter. Now here's something interesting. Each, each one of these letters in the New Testament teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not one of them is written directly to non-believers. Every single one of them, their direct audience is believers to churches and Christian individuals. So what does this mean? It means that Jesus has made this really, really simple for us. We have one message for us as the lost and one message uh, for us as the found. We have one message for salvation and it's that same message for every situation after that. We have one message to enter the kingdom, one message by which we live in the kingdom and that message is the gospel. Now I know, for some of you, this probably doesn't quite add up. Say like, well, how do we know what to do with our money and our marriage and our downtime and our work and our life? Because I've read the New Testament. I know the Bible does talk about these things. The New Testament talks about morality and the New Testament does talk about what to do and not do. There is that. There's commands in the New Testament. So how can you say we only need one message? It's because of how the New Testament fundamentally works. Okay. You can see this in two places very easily, but it's through every letter of the New Testament. But the two places that are the easiest to see it are Romans and Ephesians. Okay. So Ephesians in your Bible is six chapters. The first three chapters of that letter to the Christian church is just straight gospel. You're adopted in Christ. You're beloved in Christ. You have been given the Holy Spirit, etc. The second three chapters of that letter is, here's what to do, right? So in the first three chapters, we got, by grace, you're saved through faith. In the last three chapters, let him that stole steal no more. And what's amazing is that these two sides of the book, these two halves of those six chapters are joined together by a very deliberate and very important word. And the word is, Therefore, Ephesians 4.1, I therefore beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. He's saying, like, here's the gospel, and therefore, because of the gospel, those three chapters, not departing from it to another message, but because of this message, here is how we live. Here's what we do with our marriage and with our employees and with our business and with our money and with our free time. Romans is the same way. Romans in your Bible is 16 chapters. It's written to Christians who are at Rome, to Christians, to believers. And the first 11 chapters of Romans are straight gospel to people who already believe it. That's where we learn, like Romans 5.1. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 1 through 11, Jesus saves. Then Romans 12 through 16, here's how we live like Jesus. Here's how we obey. Here's what we do as the church. And those two halves of Romans are joined together by a very important word. The word, therefore, 
Romans 12.1, as he shifts from one half of the book to the other, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Here's the letter to the book, uh, the believers in Rome. Here's the book of Romans. Here's the gospel. Therefore, here is how you follow Jesus, what is right and wrong, and what you do and not do. It's not departing from the gospel, it is because of the gospel. What I'm getting at is this, our earliest church fathers, the apostles, this is how they saw the gospel. They did not see it as a beginner message over here, right, that we give to you right before you get baptized, so that you become one of us. And then we need you to come to these, whatever, Sunday school classes, and we're going to teach you advanced Christianity. Other messages, much different messages, better messages, complex messages that you need to know. What the earliest father saw was basically there's one message, the gospel And we stay over here with the gospel, this holy message, it's set apart. We stay over here with the gospel and we preach it to every area of our lives. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not learn the gospel so you can get saved and then we're gonna teach you how to watch your mouth. No, it's, here's the deal. You did not watch your mouth. Somebody say amen. (laughs) You did not watch your mouth. But Jesus loves you anyway. And Jesus watched his mouth for you and only ever spoke words of grace and truth and only ever spoke what was supposed to be spoken. And Jesus died in your place for your sin so that your mouth cannot condemn you. For his mouth has said you are free from sin and forgiven in him. And he now says, because you're free, speak free. Like free people speak, and free people don't use their mouth to crush others and destroy others. They use their mouth to uplift and to build up and to care for others. And so we preach the gospel to our language, and we live out the gospel via our language. It's not, here's the gospel. Now that you've got that, we got to teach you how to show up to church. Right? It's 1045, but we got donuts to try to get you here and seated right before that. Otherwise, it's chaos. Also, we're Baptist. We gave up a lot of drugs and alcohol to come to this thing. We might as well have donuts, okay? So we, we, we got to have something fun. So big ideas. We got the donuts. We come at 1045. We'll teach you how to do it. You sit, you stand. You sit, you stand. Don't say anything you shouldn't say. And... Uh, When you're done, you're done. You leave, right? But extra points for coming Wednesdays. Okay, so it's not that. It's you did not show up to anything. You did not commit to anything. You were alone in your sin. You were an outcast, an exile in your sin. And Jesus, as a good shepherd, left the 99 and ran after you because he really, 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 really loves you. And he died for you to bring you in. And so now you actually belong to his entire family where he's our big brother and God is our father and the Holy Spirit gifts you so that you might contribute to that family. It's not that you like figure out how to get up and go to church. The gospel is preached to our time and part of our time needs to be using our spiritual gifts to minister to our family, the church, which somewhere in there will require showing up. The gospel 
The bottom line is not just for non-believers, it is for us as believers. It is not just starting the train, it is the coal that keeps the train going until our destination of eternal life where we celebrate the gospel forever and ever and ever. This is good news. Jesus has made this really simple for us. We need one message for all of life. More good news? Jesus has invited us to join him in his simplicity. See, that's the gospel. What is gospel saturation? Look down at verse 16. Verse 16. Take heed to yourself, therefore, in the doctrine, which for Paul, that's the gospel. That's the core teaching. Doctrine is the core teachings of Christianity. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, rose again the third day according to the scripture. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Paul says, Timothy, there's a way to keep you and your church from departing into those messages you crave. And that is to guard, to take heed, to continue in the gospel. Or I will say it this way for our purpose, to saturate you and this church in the gospel. I love the definition of the word saturate. It is to hold as much water or moisture as can be absorbed, thoroughly soaked. Love that. This morning, I'm drinking my, my coffee um, Aunt Pam got it for me, huge bag from Costco, delish. And I use my, what is that thing, uh, the Chemex, right, pour over, because I'm a hipster. No, I'm not. I just want to be, which is maybe worse than being a hipster. But anyway, so I do my pour over. I'm on the couch, and I'm working on finishing up my talk, and, and I'm, you know, on my computer, on the couch, got my coffee, Alden wakes up, somehow comes behind the couch, and just for whatever reason, I don't even know, I mean, no explanation at all, doesn't do this every morning, doesn't do this ever, just decided to punch the back of the couch. <laughs> no, I, I literally, he doesn't even know why he did it. He just was like walking, he's like, punch the back of the couch on his way. Of course, my little cushion goes up, coffee everywhere. Shirt, saturated. Saturated. <laughs> And I thought, thank you, Lord, for this illustration. Also, I think I have third-degree burns. But it's true, okay? It's true. That it's like, dude, we got to get this gospel all over our mind, all over our heart, all over our soul. Like, we, we have got to make this front and center, week in, week out. No, here's the, for, if you're here and you're, a, like, you're really bought in at Griggs, like you're, you're one of us, I want you to be so filled with gospel that when life cuts you, when someone cuts you, you bleed gospel. Saturated in the gospel. Here's how we do this corporately. We make it all about Jesus and his gospel each and every service. It's a word I got from the Lord early on when I was called to be the pastor here. I was sitting on my porch. I was reading the Bible. I was drinking coffee, this time safely. Alden was not born yet. And... The Lord, I believe, spoke to me in some sort of way through the word, of course, but he also, I just felt this, this phrase come to mind, worship Jesus, revitalize the church, reach the neighborhood. And I told people, they asked me, what's your mission over there? I said to worship Jesus, revitalize the church, reach the neighborhood. They say, worship Jesus, that's kind of a given. 
And to me, it's not a given because here's the deal. Because my heart, your heart, our hearts crave some other message sometimes, this is actually not just a given. This is something we purposefully, purposefully focus on. We deliberately try to make it all about worshiping Jesus week in and week out as if it's the mission of the church, just like we purposefully go out to our neighborhood, purposefully bring our kids in on Sunday nights from the neighborhood. We purposely make Jesus front and center. So we'll always do that. We sing songs that mention Jesus. I don't give Andrew any rules except mention Jesus in the so- every song. Right? That's like our only thing. It's like, what's your ministry, or what is it called? Your worship philosophy. What's your, what's your philosophy of music? I'm like, it has to talk about Jesus. End of list. Makes it easy, though, doesn't it, Andrew? Right? We sing about Jesus. We take communion once a month to remember Jesus. We, we do outreach, not just to people we get along with, but, but to people who are difficult, like Jesus did. Our kids' ministry curriculum is all about Jesus and his gospel. We give testimonies about Jesus and what he's done for us and how he has saved us. We take prayer requests and pray in Jesus' name. And in fact, I'd say that's one thing we could work on as a church, and, I, and I'll lead the charge on this, but we have to remember why we pray in Jesus' name. Because I'll tell you this, though we can't talk about it right now, praying in Jesus' name is a much bigger deal than we think it is. It's an amazing honor and privilege to pray in his name. So corporately, we make it all about Jesus. Here's how you do this personally. We are asking you, you, personally, to take Jesus up on his offer of simplicity. You need to preach the simple good news, the simple gospel to yourself. Your mirror is now your pulpit, and you are the preacher and the audience. No one is more influential in your head than you are. No one talks to you as much as you do. You need to be talking about the gospel. I want you to pray through the gospel, just thanking God every day for the gospel. One thing I've done is set a timer on my phone. It goes off twice a day to remind me to pray about, think about the gospel. Praise God for the gospel. I want you to listen to gospel music. I want you to journal the gospel. I want you to listen to gospel sermons. Ask yourself gospel questions like, why am I at church this morning? Make sure you have a gospel-centered answer because I was alone in my sin and now Jesus brought me into this fellowship through his blood, his death, his resurrection. Why am I serving here? I want you to have a gospel answer for that because Jesus served me on the cross. Whatever you do, here's the deal, whatever you do, saturate yourself in the gospel. The gospel is bread. Eat your fill every day. The gospel is water. Quench your thirst. Now and forever, the the gospel is like a shepherd. Accept its guidance in all of life's situations. The gospel is like a vine. Make sure you abide in that vine and that you're nourished by it. The gospel is like air. Do not cut off the supply. Some ways we're trying to help you do this personally is this year in our vision statement, 2022, We put that our vision is to become a Bible-reading community. And so part of how we do that is we provide for free. This is not the only way we do it, but here's a simple way we do it, is that we provide for free the CBR journal. And I love this. It keeps you reading the Bible in a simple way. It's just a couple chapters a day. You journal through it. You write down gospel takeaways from it. Because we do. We have to learn to read the 
Bible with a gospel-centered lens. Okay, you get in the Old Testament, some prophet, right? I forget which one I was reading. I think I was reading Amos this week. Yeah, like locusts coming to eat my crops, uh, mountains falling down on me, uh, Babylonians with swords. I'm like, what is, how do I apply this? Well, the wrath of God was coming on the children of Israel at that time. Now the wrath of God has been taken out on Jesus, and I'm free. We have to learn to read the Old Testament with the gospel lens. The New Testament asks us to make tons of sacrifices. Have you seen the New Testament, man? Give it all up. And we could do that without being attached to the gospel. We give it all up because it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus gave it all up first. And now we have everything anyway because we're going to heaven. We are co-heirs with Christ. We got it all. And so it asks us to give us up. We have to read, saturate ourselves in the gospel through being a Bible-reading community we're going to have CBR journals up here. We've got, I think, like 30 of them for free. If you don't have one, come get one for free. I'll make sure that those things are stacked up additionally in our groups. We have a new format on Wednesday nights. We used to just ask questions about the sermon. Now what we do is we just take a chapter. We're in 2 Corinthians right now. We take a chapter. We talk about that chapter and what jumps out to us, and we use it to worship Jesus. It's another chance to saturate ourselves in the gospel. So here's the bottom line, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna close it up. The gospel not only passes us into heaven, it helps us persevere through this life, right? That's what he said, save yourself and those who hear you. From the messages you crave, you save yourself by focusing on the gospel. It is for unbelievers, but it is also for us as believers. It is not just the defibrillator that brings us back to life. It is our blood that pumps through us and keeps us walking with Christ. So let's do this today as we sing and as we go, check this gauge. Right, the core values are meant to be like gauges on a dashboard that show us how's the vehicle of the church operating. You wanna check those gauges to see, okay, how are we doing with service? Are we making that a thing? Are we doing mission? Are we making that a thing? Check your gauge on saturation. Am I constantly, always, only taking in the message of the gospel that requires faith, or am I giving into the cravings of other messages for sight? Let's check that gauge. Let's pray. Let's sing about the gospel to Jesus, who gave us the gospel in the first place, who is our good news. Ultimately, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning and thank you for the gospel and Jesus I just pray that as we close up and sing a few more songs that we would truly check our hearts gauge on how we're doing with making this our preeminent message in personal life and in corporate life Lord please help our church we are susceptible we're no better than any other church on the planet we are susceptible to craving false messages help us to have clean and pure and sound doctrine always simple Bible truth, front and center all the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that you died, you rose, and that's everything to us. May it always be everything to us. In Jesus' name, amen.